I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to episode number 51 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in some way or another, unformidable. And I'm recording this on May the 3rd, which means that last night, May the 3rd of 2021, the Mets uh, played on Sunday Night Baseball last night and held on by the skin of the metal railing at the very top of the right field wall in Citizens Bank Ballpark last night, winning 8-7, to seven, uh, barely avoiding a full ninth inning meltdown that brought back some unfortunate Edwin Diaz 2019 memories. Uh, the game was very classic Mets for me in what felt like it could be a redeeming, exciting moment. Uh, there was that six-run rally that really, for me, felt like the first non-Jacob deGrom-based moment this year where I just flat-out exulted. It you know, felt like it could be a potential turning point for the team. And granted, they did win the game, but they somehow managed to uh, have the victory feeling a little pyrrhic and unsatisfying and incomplete. It was a very stressful ninth inning to begin with, Then, of course it was a ninth inning that was not spent for me uh, listening to 
the friendly voices of my meta-announcers who would understand the team context and the fan psyche, but rather subjected to the Sunday night baseball team on ESPN of Matt Vesgersian and A-Rod, which was no help either. Uh, and of course was a stark contrast for me because the game, the way the Mets barely won, and the opponent, uh, and my very immediate reaction at the end of the game uh, brought to mind one of the more memorable moments and one of the more memorable calls of one of the all-time great announcers in Major League Baseball history, not just Mets history, and one of his most off-the-cuff and thus iconic call. For today's subject was on the Mets scarcely longer than the recent unformidable subject Max Scarce, who pitched to one whole batter in his Mets career. Mario Diaz garnered only 23 plate appearances across 16 games as a New York Met in 1999, and his career with the Mets would probably not be remembered much except for the fact that by catching one line drive and ensuring that the Mets won the damn thing, Mario Diaz provided Met fans everywhere, and especially Bob Murphy, the relief of a barely earned win, and Mario Diaz became suddenly and surprisingly, unformidable. Mario Rafael Diaz Torres was born January 10th, 1962, in Humacao, Puerto Rico. Diaz signed with the Seattle Mariners in 1978, just prior to his 17th birthday. Listed on baseball reference as 5'10 and a whopping 145 pounds, Mario Diaz was, as you could imagine, not a power-hitting prospect. Diaz was your classic glove-first, pretty much glove-only, uh, slap-hitting shortstop-slash-utility-infield type player, uh, the kind that you don't see as much in the majors anymore as uh, offense and particularly, you know, home runs and three, th three true outcomes uh, override any utility of the slap-hitting player, but um, that was, you know, more in vogue those days and players who seemed to have lengthy careers. I mean, even in the minor leagues, uh, aside from an eight-game stretch in the hitting haven of Salt Lake City, the highest OPS Diaz recorded at any stop was 770 in AA, and that was even in a partial 43-game uh, stretch. From ages 22 to 24 in AA and AAA, his OPS was 498, 588, and 670, and those were really pretty full seasons, not even short sample size seasons. And he wasn't a slow base runner, but he was not really a stolen base threat either. He never even recorded double-digit stolen bases in the minors. So Diaz was the type of ball player who rode his glove through the minors. And after eight long seasons and 776 minor league games in the Seattle organization, Mario Diaz got the call at the age of 25. He made his major league debut as a September call-up in 1987 with the Seattle Mariners. On September 12th, Diaz made his Major League debut in an 11-1 game. The Mariners were leading. He replaced starting shortstop Ray Quinones, and wouldn't you know it, the 
late-hitting shortstop lined a triple down the right field line to start off the seventh inning for his first major league hit in his first major league at bat and came around to score his first run in the majors, the Mariners' 12th run of the game. It was a very brief cup of coffee in September of 87 for Diaz, 11 games, 23 plate appearances, and uh, so it went for him the next couple of years in Seattle insofar as not getting a ton of major league time. He spent 1988 and 1989 on the AAA shuttle and mostly on the minor league side. Uh, 1989 was actually the first year, and as far as I could see, the only year that Diaz made an opening day roster uh, as he made the probably like you know, 24th, 25th man. I forget how many players were on the roster at that point in time, uh, but he did make an opening day roster. And early in the season in 1989, he hit his first career home run. Again, Diaz came into a game in a blowout affair. This time the Mariners were trailing 13-3, to and the Angels' Mike Witt was going for a complete game. Uh, so in the ninth inning, uh, noted slap hitter Ken Griffey Jr. in his sixth career Major League game ground a single between first and second bringing in the mighty Mario Diaz, who came up and took his first, and I'm going to guess his only, career lead in home runs over the kid, going yard to deep left in his first plate appearance of the season. It was actually Ken Griffey Jr.'s sixth career game. At the conclusion of that game, uh, the Mariners were 1-5 on their way to another tough season. At the conclusion of that game, Griffey had a 105 batting average, 150 on base, 158 slugging uh, for a 308 OPS. Uh, Mario Diaz, of course, it was his first at bat, batting 1,000 with a 4,000 slugging percentage. Uh, if I were Mario Diaz, I'd just want to freeze that moment in ember, I think, and perhaps end the career right there. But thankfully for us, he did not, and he got to play side role in a very memorable game for the New York Mets. Uh, Diaz would go back down in September for the Mariners in 1989. Uh, excuse me, went down in June, uh, came back up in September. Uh, again, as you can see by the games that I cited, he mostly got into games late, either as a defensive replacement or giving players breathers and blowouts. Uh, all told, over 1987 to 1989, Diaz played in 91 games for the Mariners, picking up only 169 at-bats. Diaz did not spend time in the majors with the Mariners in 1990. He started the season in AAA, and in June of 1990, the Mets acquired Mario Diaz from minor league pitcher Brian Givens. Uh, I, I was 15 at the time, so I was, I was, the Mets were pretty much my life from 1984 to 1990, and I paid a lot of attention to the Mets, but I have no recollection of that transaction, just the kind of, I don't know if the scrutiny was paid to those kind of transactions day in and day out, but... You know, the kind that especially then went barely noticed or remarked upon, and it was possible Diaz would have remained a minor league depth piece, but for injury problems uh, for the Mets in the major leagues. By 1989, perennial prospect smooth-fielding Kevin Elster had finally established himself as the Mets' everyday shortstop, uh, and in 1990 he was playing pretty frequently, but he began to struggle with shoulder pain during the season. I don't remember exactly when that became public news. Maybe the Mets were aware of it earlier. 
when they acquired Diaz, but uh, eventually the shoulder problems ended ultra season early. Uh, in early August, he had to have surgery for a torn labrum. Uh, the Mets responded, you won't believe this, by sacrificing defense for offense and moving Howard Johnson to shortstop, uh, as they had been doing You know, when Ulster was trying to play through the injury. Hojo became kind of the primary shortstop and played the second most games at short for the team that season. But with the injuries and the uh, struggles of Kevin Baez, who was, uh, I think, also supposed to be a backup shortstop, uh, Diaz eventually got a chance uh, coming up to the Major League team on July 16th of 1990, uh, and he was with the team until late August before going back to Tidewater and effectively ending his Met tenure. Uh, but in the interim, uh, he was involved in one of the more memorable games in Met history, and certainly in Met broadcasting history, at any rate. The 1990 Mets, of course, started slowly, uh, had a losing record in May, and the always quibbling quarreling Frank Cashin and Davy Johnson relationship finally came to an end and Davy was fired uh, when the Mets were 20 and 22 in May and Buddy Harrelson took over as manager. They went one and four over Harrelson's first few games, bottoming out for that season at 22 and 26. Just when it looked like the dynasty that never quite was, uh, was the embers were going to go out uh, the Mets caught fire in uh, summer of that year. At one point, I think they went 26-5 and five over a 31-game stretch, uh, something along those lines. Uh, Dave Magadan had established himself as a every, solid everyday first baseman. Uh, Greg Jeffries finally started to play solidly. Hojo and Strawberry, Hojo and Darrell were excellent. Uh, and the pitching staff... Um, probably the last year of that Met pitching staff dominance, uh, Gooden, Fernandez, Darling, Cohn, and Viola, I think. It was a new challenger in the NL East, the young pirates of Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla, uh, but suddenly the Mets were hot and hot on their trails in July as Mario Diaz joined the Mets. And our story brings us to July 25th, 1990. Diaz had seen four games of action prior to that with the Mets. Uh, he, he got into a couple of games as late as a defensive replacement and actually started the two previous games against the Phillies, the 23rd and the 24th, going one for nine with a single. The Mets would enter that July 25th game, one and a half games behind Pittsburgh. Hojo would get the start at short in that game and would get the Mets off to a quick start. Uh, he bat batted leadoff that day, and in uh, the top of the third, he tripled, and Dave Magadan followed with a home run to deep center. Uh, Magadan was great, but home runs were unusual for him. I believe it was only his fourth of the season to that point. And the Mets would just keep hitting. Uh, Kevin McReynolds would hit a triple of his own in the fifth to plate Hojo and Darrell, who had both walked extending the Met lead to 4 nothing, And then the top of the sixth, the Mets would blow the game open. Uh, Daryl Strawberry hit a three-run homer, a bomb to deep center, 450 feet, uh, to cap off a five-run inning, giving the Mets a 9 nothing lead. And with the capable Sid Fernandez in control, uh, it would seem the game was well in hand. 
And it would just seem the quintessential game that Mario Diaz would get into, a little mop-up duty uh, in a blowout game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And that would indeed eventually be the case. Uh, the Mets held that 9 nothing lead into the 7th. Uh, Magadan and Strawberry came out of the game in the 7th. Uh, Sid blew, well, blew it. Seemed to just blow the shutout at the time, uh, thanks to a couple of singles from Lenny Dykstra and Tommy Herr and... Uh, Gigo figure or throwing error by Mackie Sasser on a stolen base attempt. Uh, that's something that is not at all surprising to read. If, uh, you remember the Mackie Sasser era? That's a that's a unformidable opportunity right there. Now that I think about it, there are a lot of names in this box score that are good unformidable opportunities. I might have to omit some to save for later. So the lead cut to 9-2, Sid was scheduled to lead off the top of the 8th, and Mario Diaz pinch hit for him, and actually doubled uh, deep to left, uh, one hopped off the wall, uh, I read. Uh, he was stranded there, but Diaz would remain in the game, uh, Hojo would come out, uh, Keith Miller would go to second, and Diaz would take over for Hojo at short, defensive replacement in a 9-2 game, nothing unusual to see here. Wally Whitehurst relieved Sid, gave up one run to cut the score to 9-3, to uh, but got out of the inning. Mets go into the ninth, up ahead 9-3. With one out in the top of the ninth, Kevin McReynolds would double. Mackie Sasser would bloop a single to right to score McReynolds and extend the lead to 10-3. And little did anyone know that that insurance run... Well... <laughs> No one would have dared called it an insurance run in a 9-3 game, but it would indeed become uh, the game-winning run. And probably a great reminder to people who, you know, don't believe people should run up the score, uh, you know, that people shouldn't be swinging for the seats in a 9-3 game. Just flash back to this game and think that one over a bit. That's the beauty of baseball, Uh, you know. Can't run the clock out, uh, so no score is uh, ever completely safe, especially with a New York Met bullpen. So 10-3, bottom of the ninth, Wally Whitehurst on the hill. The first five batters uh, singled. Uh, Wally Whitehurst was replaced by Julio Machado, who promptly gave up two more singles. Uh, the first seven batters in the ninth inning singled, which according to the Sabre article on this game is a record. Uh, I'm not 
going to look through baseball history and verify that, but um, that is what I've read. Looking at the baseball reference uh, play-by-play, they were all ground ball singles. Uh, two of them described as ground ball to weak third base. Well, at least one was an infield single. Uh, two through the shortstop third base hole, a couple up the middle. Uh, let's just say uh, in the shift era, this uh, this game probably would have been over at 9-3, to three. I'm starting to guess. The seventh single by Tom Nieto, uh, a, dri- a seeing eye single up the middle, uh, scored two runs, so that cut the lead to ten to eight, with nobody out in runners on first and third. The Mets' win probability in the game, which had hovered between ninety-six percent and virtually a hundred percent from the sixth into the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, dipped to 51% at the start of John Crux at bat. Uh, Machado got the hook, and John Franco came in. And Franco walked John Crux to load the bases. Uh, so 10-8, bases loaded, nobody out. And none other than old friend Lenny Dykstra coming to the plate. And on the first pitch, Franco got Lenny to ground into a double play, uh, cutting the score to 10-9, but of course getting two crucial outs. As you can imagine, if you how you felt when you watched last night's game, or how you felt many times watching the Mets bullpen, as you can imagine if you are a Met fan, we're getting increasingly exasperated watching this game. Uh, unbelievable, the chance that it might slip through our fingers. And of course, Bob Murphy, beloved Met broadcaster, uh, all-time Ford Frick Award winner and someone who had been with the franchise since the beginning and had seen it all with the Mets, I think summed up what a lot of Mets fans were thinking as Tommy Herr came to the plate and after the double play, Bob Murphy started that at-bat by noting, if John Franco can get out of this, he will have earned his money for the year. Franco threw ball one, and then the next pitch to Tommy Herr. Who could say it but Bob Murphy? Line drive, caught. The game is over, the Mets win it. A line drive to Mario Diaz, and the Mets win the ball game. They win the damn thing by a score of 10-9. to 9. I'm pretty sure I watched the game on TV, but my friend my friend Rob watched, listened to it on the radio somehow. I think he was driving somewhere and was the first to tell me of Bob's commentary. And I mean, you know, we're just talking about the venerable, venerable old-fashioned Bob Murphy uh, I know Dam wasn't really a big curse in the 90s, even, uh, much less today, uh, but it was quite the shocker to hear that Bob had dropped a D-bomb on the air, and, you know, of course, it just got into the news, and I remember hearing Howie Rose uh, kind of interview Bob Murphy about it, uh, who, you know, was sheepish but amused, uh, Bob you know, accepted it and played along, and I think it just took on a life of its own, and it's a pretty good microcosm of uh, how we feel after many a Met victory, including their most recent one in Philadelphia this past Sunday. After winning the damn thing, it actually the Mets actually cut their deficit to the Pirates to half a game. Uh, and in the ensuing days, they would actually pull ahead by about a game, a game and a half. And 
once again, I believed in those late 80s Mets that, uh, you know, I think I believed it was kind of like a San Francisco Giants 2010s things where, okay, so every even-numbered year we're going to win the division. But alas, things didn't end well for, things didn't end as hoped for the Mets in 1990, nor did they end for Mario Diaz, as he would likely have hoped. Diaz would get only 13 more plate appearances as a Met after the 10-9 epic almost collapse barely victory. Uh, he would get a sacrifice fly to record his only RBI as a Met uh, the next day against the Cardinals in a 6-1 victory, uh, but he would record only one more hit in his previous in his final uh, 13 plate appearances, finishing his Met career 3 for 22. He'd get sent back down to Tidewater in August, and he would not uh, make it back up to the big league club in 1990. The Mets would finish 91-71, and 71, but four games shy of Pittsburgh for the division title uh, in the last of the very famous 84-90, uh, through 90, the last of the seven seasons when they finished first or second, but won only one World Series championship. Diaz would be a free agent after the 19, 1990 season. Uh, he actually spent five more years in the majors, three with Texas from 91 to 93, and then two with the expansion Marlins in 94 and 95. Uh, 91 and 93 in Texas, he actually got uh, over 200 plate appearances each season, uh, far and away the most he had as in the major leagues. And he actually had a nice little small sample size in 1994 with the Marlins in 77 at-bats. He actually hit 325 uh, and 805 OPS, the only major league season he had where he actually had an above 100 OPS plus at 108. Diaz had, as far as I could uh, see, the one walk-off hit of his career as a Marlin as well. On June 8th, 1994, the Marlins rallied from a two-run deficit against uh, Dodgers closer Todd Worrell, and Diaz uh, lined a single up the middle to drive in the winning run and walk it off for the Marlins in a 5-4 to victory. And then after logging a little Major League time in 95 with the Marlins, uh, Diaz tried to stick it out. Uh, he was in the Indians and Red Sox organizations in the late 90s and then played some in the Mexican League uh, before uh, retiring from professional ball at the age of 37 in 1999. For his career, uh, Diaz got 773 at-bats over nine major, scattered over nine major league seasons. Uh, he had a career 256 batting average, a little better than I would have guessed, uh, 292 on base, uh, 326 slugging for a 618 OPS and a 69 OPS plus. His career war, according to baseball reference, was negative 0.4. He was a net positive with the glove, but, you know, he didn't really get enough playing time to really uh, rack that up. His best season was definitely that aforementioned 1994 with the Marlins, where he actually did record a 0.8 war over those 80 plus at-bats. 
as a met, as mentioned, he was three for 22, which is a 136 batting average. Uh, he had the rare and exciting lower on base percentage than batting average. He had a 130 on base percentage thanks to that sacrifice fly. Uh, 182 slugging, 312 OPS, a negative 15 OPS plus. Uh, so in 16 games and 22 plate appearances as a Met. It grades out as a negative 0.14, according to baseball reference. So barely a blip, but thanks to being a defensive replacement and snaring a softly hit line drive, thanks to an almost epic collapse, and thanks to a perfectly imperfect call by one of the perfect announcers that there has ever been, for being at the end of that last play, when the Mets famously won the damn thing. For that, Mario Diaz will always be unformidable. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our very amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Leave us a review. It really helps. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go, Mets.